0: Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Greg, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it? Garcia? It's Juraci, David. Tracy. Uh I only studied one foreign language in school, and, and that was English.
1: Uh, <laughs> this is Cecilia. Greg is,
0: a, uh, Greg is a recognized thought leader in the field of product management and the CEO. And how do you pronounce your company's name? Actuation? That's right. Uh, consulting which he claims is the world's leading product management, consulting, and training organization, but uh, we're going to arm wrestle over that. Uh, It's a global provider of product management, consulting, training, and advisory services to many of the world's uh, best-known organizations. Um, He is the author of uh, two global bestsellers, uh, Take Charge Product Management and The Guide to Product Management and Marketing Body of Knowledge which he uh, was the chief editor and writer of uh, for AIPMM, the Association of uh, International Product Managers and Product Marketing. He's also a former board member of the Business Architecture Guild, where he contributed to the most recent version of the BizBocket Guide. As an industry expert, Greg has also been asked to contribute his product management expertise to a growing list of professional uh, bodies of knowledge, including the Institute of Electrical Engineers, the first IT Bach and the latest uh, Bay Bach guy. And you can learn more about Greg at uh, www.actuationconsulting.com. Uh, Rich, uh, who will be our, also our other co presenter, has 30 years of experience championing and delighting uh, customers. He that believes be that strong product and engineering collaboration is essential, essential to achieving that goal. In addition to collaborating on the study of product team performance, Ron co-authored the Addison-Wesley book, Managing the Unmanageable Rules, Tools, and Insights for Managing Software People and Teams. It's now in its second edition. Learn more about that at www.managingtheunmanageable.net. Ron spent seven years as a programmer, two years as a product manager, 25 years managing product and development organizations at all levels, from VP of engineering, product and CTO at companies ranging in size, from tiny startups to Charles Schwab, Fujitsu, Stanford, and Apple. He's now an engineering management fire jumper. And Rod, we have about 367 forest fires here. So can you get out of Seattle and come down here and help us out? Uh, and he's transforming, uh, focused tra- on transforming chaos to clarity in software development. He advises executive leaders how to untangle the knots of their product development organizations Trains execs and teams in agile and coaches development teams and leaders to make uh, software development hum. You learn more about Ron at www.ronleechi.com. He's long been a popular speaker at product development and agile meetings and conferences, and his email address is Ron at ronleachie.com. Uh I'm happy to be your host. Um, I am in Silicon Valley and I have a little over 50 years of product management or more senior experience. Uh, Recently, a couple years ago, I released this book called Building and Sailing Great Products. See if I can do my Vanna White impersonation here. And then recently, Organizing and Managing and Sailing Great Products. And then uh, co-hosting this uh, webinar is Wiley NXT, and they published this little pamphlet that I wrote uh, called Successful Product Design and Management Toolkit, which is being used by IIML, uh, Prestigious Management Institute, which is starting a seven-week executive course on product management. Um, and uh, Deborah uh, would you like to say a few words about that?
2: Sure, and um, just to let you know, David and uh, Greg and Ron, um, I think a number of students, uh, the program is starting on 22nd of August, but I think a few students from that uh, batch is joining the webinar today. So it's basically a program which um, focuses on building product manage- managers for the future, uh, who can leverage uh, you know, design thinking, data-centric approaches to understand what David talks about what customers do much better, and then they are able to build their product strategies and business strategies focused on an under deep understanding of what is it that customers are, uh, you know, willing to do. So, I think a lot of top industry experts, including David and the faculty from IIM Lucknow, which is one of the top uh, business schools in India, all of them have come together to build this program. And we, we believe that uh, by the end of the program, uh, people would be able to kind of have a very good understanding of what is it that would make, make products successful and I'm sure would be uh, going ahead and launching a lot of, uh, you know, successful products and businesses together. So that's about it.
0: Yeah, all of my very... books are available on uh, Amazon worldwide. So you can just look up those titles or anything more about me the books and the courses that I have at
1: www.spicecatalyst.com. Okay, Greg, uh, over to you. Thanks so much, David. First of all, it's great to be here today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to share this year's findings. Ron and I are going to be co-presenting, so we'll be passing back and forth um, sort of the speaking uh, microphone, if you will. And uh, let me begin first by just pretty much skimming through since David did such a great job and sort of introducing me uh what I had for an intro slide so I'm going to bypass that. Ron is there anything you'd like to say before I move on to the content about your own? Intro? Uh, no
3: I think I, I think uh, David handled that as well.
1: Okay so right into the meat of the presentation then so today's presentation covers three main areas. Uh, the first is about the respondents. So who um, responds to our annual, almost annual survey of product teams globally? Uh, So a little bit of demographics, if you will. So we know who it is that's been responding to the surveys. Second, gets into performance. So what, what respondents tell us about their product team's performance, how product managers and product management is doing, within their organizations and also innovation. So three subsections within the performance section. And then finally, we'll go through some regression analysis, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, I find it's always helpful to give a little bit of background about the survey that forms the basis for the annual white paper that we produce. So uh, let me just give you a short snippet about how the survey is put together. So what we do is we work closely with sponsors and promotional partners who then email a web-based survey out to a wide range of participants. The survey is anonymous, although there is optional disclosure. So for example, if somebody wants to be the first to receive the white paper once it's produced, if they provide us their information, we make sure to get it out to uh, folks before we make it widely available. Uh, Also, we're interested in hearing from a wide variety of different roles. The key really is, since we've been conducting the survey since 2012, we really strive to hear directly from those who are actively involved in product development activities within their organizations. And I've listed some of the roles, such as business analysts, development managers, product managers, et cetera, here, so that you can see them. But the, the list is quite extensive. The key really is anybody at any level who's actively involved in product development activities within their organization. And then one of the things that makes us a little bit different is we take an extra step. uh, Once we have the survey data collected, what we do is we provide it to an independent statistician who conducts regression analysis on it. And uh, we've been doing this consistently since the inception of the study back in 2012. So now that we've sort of gone through a little bit of the survey, let's talk a little bit about who responded. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to my partner, Ron. Ron, take it away.
3: Okay, so as in prior years, the vast majority of respondents do play an active role creating or enhancing products and services. And so this year it was 97%, which is uh, very comparable to the prior years. uh, As uh, Greg said, this is our sixth, um, sixth survey or sixth study. What's different this year is that we had a much higher concentration of product managers and owners than we normally do. Just over 54% were product professionals this year. Greg? So when we asked who our respondents reported to, we got a pretty even spread across all the categories. So we had a good distribution across all the segments from uh, reporting to managers, reporting to directors, reporting to VPs, and reporting to... uh, Uh, company officers. In all, about 77% of respondents report to a company officer, a VP, or a director. So, fairly senior. Next. As in the the past, over half of our respondents come from the technology segment. Uh, And I should note that technology includes not just software, but also hardware. Um, In fact, over 51% of respondents came from the technology sector and the remaining 49% are spread across all of the other segments. So 18% said they said they're part of services, 12% consumer products, uh, about 5% in education, about 2% in government, and then about 12% in categories that are are other than uh, the choices we gave them. Next. So there's a good spread across all the segments uh, of company size, The concentration is in businesses between $50 million and $2 billion, where um, uh, about 45%, nearly, uh, nearly half of our uh, respondents are in that size company. Next. So let's take a closer look at what product team members told us about their organization's performance. So if you can move on, Greg. So, the majority of respondents indicate that their teams are intentionally stable over the long term. Now, my own mantra has become over time that software development is a team sport. And team sport performance is gated on trust and respect and psychological safety, and those characteristics are built over time on stable teams. So uh, it's a little distressing that only 40% of team members are, uh, are on intentionally stable teams. And while only 15% of teams indicate they're intentionally fluid, in fact, 60% end up being on fluid teams. While we recognize that not all organizations have the staffing to utilize or maintain stable teams over time as consultants focused on making, on, on making product development at home, we observe significant benefits to product teams staying stable. From performance to maintaining momentum to accumulating product knowledge over time, stable teams have real value. Next slide. So nonetheless, 71% of product teams reported more team cohesion than not. Uh, But surprising, and so not surprisingly, given our previous slide, 29% of respondents tell us they have low levels of trust, communication, and collaboration. That's a pretty significant number of organizations, so there's a lot of room for improvement on product teams. Next slide. So, effectiveness of your product team. So, so, um, this data is critical to our correlations of practices to performance, and here are the performance stats. Less than a third of teams say they deliver value consistently. These are the teams that are the high performance teams that when we found correlations with high performance teams, it was this third of teams that self-reported that they were on higher performance teams. The majority say that they deliver value but lack consistency and approximately 18% confess that they perform poorly and these are, and again, we found some correlations of, of practices with poorly poorly performing teams, which are these teams. Next slide. So when it comes to how product teams use their time, there's really significant room for improvement. Just 36% of product team members spend the majority of their time achieving company business goals. Sadly, 64% of product team members are unable to spend sufficient time focused on company objectives a uh, sad state of affairs. Um, uh, next slide, Greg. So let's look at how organizations develop products. So as you can see by this graph, teams claiming to be agile exceed those recognizing that they're blending agile with waterfall by 49% to 39%. We've been tracking product development methodology adoption since 2012. So let's take a longitudinal look at the data on the next slide. If you look at the bar on the left, that's 2012. So we've got, we've got the six studies 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, and then jumping to the 1920 study, 2019 to 2020 study. If you look at the bar on the left, you'll see that Agile Scrum, the yellow on that bar, was just 12.8% in 2012. By 2016, it was nearly 50%, basically what it is today. Agile Scrum predominates today. Now notice the waterfall, the pink bar above yellow, uh, waterfall has continued to decrease from 18% back in 2012 to less than 9% today. So it's experienced a steady decline to half of its previous numbers. And then finally, blended methodologies, the purple at the bottom have have slowly shrunk from more than 50% to stabilize at roughly 40% as agile adoption has grown and waterfall has shrunk. So moving on to the next slide. We looked at what, which methodology is associated with increasing the profitability of your product. And as in prior years, Agile is the method that respondents consistently associate with increased product profitability. In fact, every, uh, when we looked at uh, the t- teams that were using the various methodologies, in fact, more than not every group uh, regardless of what they were using, said if we were using Agile and, and or we were using Scrum, it would be it would make us more profitable. Um, if you compare this year's findings to 2016's responses when we last asked the question, the response rate is quite consistent at, at 52.1%. Then now 52.7%. So this is not a surprise. Agile's backlog focus focuses on ensuring that we deliver the highest value every single sprint. The shift from hundreds of pages of barely read requirements to backlog grooming that's focused on the highest value results in dramatic results in dramatically reduced waste. Teams together defining done results in both higher quality and avoiding costly revisiting of code. Uh, um, Agile directly correlates profit to agile's focus on customer delight. So all of those for for all of those and many more reasons it, it's clear that Agile provides higher profitability, and it's widely recognized across product teams and product team members.
1: Greg? All right, so thank you, Ron. So let's transition over and take a closer look at what we learned about product management in this year's study. So first of all, we asked, where do product managers come from? And for those of you who aspire to be product managers, there's really good news. Product management is an equal opportunity profession. In fact, 33% of product managers enter the field from an engineering role, which gives you an inside leg as it's the largest section, as you can see purple on the chart. In fact, only 10% of respondents say they started as product managers. Um, Some of the other gateways into product management, marketing, 11% of respondents indicated, operations at 10% sales and uh, customer service at 9% respectively. So they all provided gateways to become a product manager and other makes up the difference. As you can see, others are pretty significant section and it includes people such as those from finance uh, who find their way into product management as well. I think the bottom line here basically is, is that product management truly is an equal opportunity profession. Although statistically speaking, if you're an engineer, you have the best opportunity to enter the field. I think Ron, you being an engineer, you probably have something to say about that. Any comment?
3: Yeah, so I'll I'll make a personal note regarding that. So I spent seven years as a programmer, a little more than seven years as a programmer. I uh, was a really good programmer. I I, um, have several patents um, uh, that that, um, I was awarded. Um, I wrote a couple of books on programming, a couple of popular books on programming uh, uh, this is a number of years ago, and made the transition then um, to management, and the transition to product management from engineering. I managed Apple Computer, recruited me to uh, to manage to create and manage a product management group for development tools at Apple, and uh, uh, so that transition that transition for me was uh, was an interesting one. That I uh, went fleeing back to engineering after a year and a half of doing product management. But well, I've gone back and forth several times actually in my career doing product management. Um, my 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 heart is in uh, on the engineering side, but you can see that that transition between engineering and product management um, is is a fluid one. Greg, if you can give us the next slide, I want to talk about uh, commonly utilized requirements criteria. The um, we looked at what is it that, how is it that backlogs, how is it that requirements are, um, are prioritized? And uh, these days when we're looking at Agile, the question is how are backlogs prioritized because backlogs are, 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 are backlogs of requirements. And what we found was that uh, size um, size and influence of customer are the number one factor in, um, in prioritizing requirements. And it it suggests that too often companies are having trouble distinguishing between whether they're in the products business or whether they're in the services business, and this is not insignificant given that product companies are valued have a have a value six times the um, the valuation of services companies that earn the same revenue. So you want to be really careful if you think you're in the products business to um, to focus on product. Um, Product management and and building a, a product roadmap that is good for all customers, not for not for that um, that big customer, the size, the sizey customer, the uh, influential customer. Um, I want I want to point out two. Uh, so actually, let me walk down these. So the second one we saw was risk. Um, uh, this is this is a good thing. From uh, every everyone who's got who's spent any time in project management knows that paying down risk early is a smart move. Risk first development has always been uh, critical to success in um, in product in, in product development and product delivery. Then third was development cost the cost of development alone as a factor. Uh, And I'm gonna gonna call that out because I'm gonna come back to that. So pay attention to that. Development cost was third at 50, uh, almost 55%. Then key internal stakeholder influence, which which like size and influence of customer is not necessarily a very good way to be making decisions about uh, uh, product order um, and about feature order uh, then technical issues architecture and stability and scalability which certainly need to be considered, but only then do we see revenue and profitability and and I want to note look at profitability the last of those qualifications is profit uh, and we're going to come and we're going to come back to this. Um, so next, uh, if you want to, and, and then uh, 12% said, I always put a finger up in the wind and try to figure it out on the fly. Greg?
1: Hey, thanks, Ron. So uh, the second, well, the third slide in this act really deals with roadmap transparency. So as you can see, um, This year's slide is roughly about the same as the last time that we asked the question back in 2016. One of the benefits of having started the study back in 2012 is we get a good longitudinal look, like Ron showed you earlier on methodology adoption rates. Uh, So once again, uh, you know, we asked this question back in 2016 and when you compare the two, there's been very little difference, very little change between what we were told back then and what respondents said this year. Really, the only change of note is that there are fewer responses in the three-month time frame than there were in the original time we asked it back in 2016. Um, We also asked a question about product line reviews this year. And what we basically learned by doing that was that roughly 75% of um, respondents basically say that they regularly or occasionally conduct product line reviews. We view this as a good thing from a consulting standpoint. All right, that concludes the product management subsection. So let's shift over to innovation. Uh, This year we asked a a series of five questions that um, were in part submitted to us by one of our sponsors because we hadn't delved into the innovation section in great detail in past studies. So in looking at innovation this year, when we asked about how actively involved product managers are in the innovation process, we were heartened to see that 65% of respondents indicated that product managers are actively involved uh, in innovation activities early in the process. And we view this as great news. When it comes down to innovation maturity or rather innovation immaturity, Respondents tell us that most organizations, 61%, have immature innovation processes. Generally, innovation maturity is lacking, as only 16% of organizations indicate that their innovation processes are either optimized or well-managed, so there's plenty of room for opportunity here. As it relates to innovation program management, when we take a closer look at how companies are managing their innovation programs, we can see that um, only about a quarter of companies have automated their uh, innovation processes. In fact, over three quarters of respondents indicate that their organizations are either using manual spreadsheets or SharePoint or some other similar management tool for their innovation programs. So once again, another area of opportunity for many organizations. When asked who's involved with innovation processes within their organizations, the vast majority, as you can see, rely upon employees and customers to spark their innovation processes. Um, few organizations reply, rely upon suppliers, partners, startups, universities, and researchers, or the public at large. As you can see, it tails off rather radically. In terms of desired outcomes, there. It was a pretty good representation of different goals that um, organizations have with their innovation programs. We're going to focus on the top four that had the highest percentages. The first was to gain or maintain competitive advantage. Almost 70% of organizations expressed this as a goal. The next was new product or service development at 67%. The third was improving customer satisfaction. We're gonna talk more about that a little bit later, 63%. And the fourth had to do with continuous improvement. And as you can see, there's a general step down from that point on. All right, so onto our key findings. Uh, There are five that came up in this year's regression analysis. So just a brief drum roll. First has to do with business strategy. The second has to do with the use of customer satisfaction as a metric. The third has to do with how product managers spend their time. The fourth has to do with profitability. Uh, This goes back to what Ron was pointing out earlier around the use as a uh, requirements criterion. And the fifth has to do with focusing upon the entire backlog So let's dive into it. So in this year's regression analysis, our regression analysis shows that a product team's ability to connect their daily activities to the company's overarching business strategy is highly correlated with financial success. That's what the regression analysis shows. However, uh, as you can see on the slide, only 27% of survey respondents this year indicated that their product team is able to connect their daily activities directly to the company's business strategy. In fact, most respondents indicate that their organizations either failed to effectively communicate this company strategy to the product teams, or indicate that the company is lacking a company strategy, a business strategy uh, overall. And when looked at from a longitudinal perspective, since we've been doing this since the last seven years, the story is even more discouraging the amount of product teams that could connect their daily activities to the company strategy has actually decreased over 10 percentage points over time. So companies that want to improve the performance of their product teams and their financial performance should really shore up communication and transparency regarding the overarching company business strategy and how product teams are connected to it. Uh, you know, I believe sincerely that doing so will help product teams make better short and long-term decisions and it leads to a clear understanding of the strategic priorities and how product team members' actions can positively or negatively influence the outcomes. This is also likely to increase product team members' commitment to their work efforts. I think all of everybody's experience being on a product team is something that you're not, you know, you can't understand what the benefit of it is to the organization and that can be very discouraging. Talented team members often dislike working on projects that don't appear to add value to their organization. So, you know, having better connectivity to the overarching business strategy at the product team level has been shown in the regression analysis to be statistically significant. So let's shift to the second regression analysis factor, and that has to do with the use of customer satisfaction as a metric. In our view, product teams should be held accountable to their performance. However, uh, when we first asked this question about what metrics product teams are being held accountable to, there was a wide range of responses, but not a single metric that organizations consistently held product teams accountable to, and that was back in 2015. This year, uh, when we did our regression analysis, it showed that customer satisfaction is now the dominant metric that most product teams are being held accountable to. In fact, 51% of organizations um, are now using this accountability metric. Other metrics as you can see that, um, that are being used include um, quality, velocity, or throughput metrics, profitability, top line revenue. Um, interesting that a lot of Folks respond that our product team is not being held accountable, but does have objectives to support either revenue margin expenses or EBITDA and so on. Um, I think the best news in looking at this and all of this is that product teams that are held accountable to customer satisfaction are highly correlated with improved performance. Additionally, this trend using customer satisfaction as the accountability metric for product teams has risen 10 percent since 2015. So this is a positive development on all fronts, and once again, uh, highly correlated with improved performance. We also asked a question about how product managers spend their time, and it'll be interesting to hear David's comments about this a little bit later, I'll bet. Um, We found in our regression analysis that how product managers spend their time matters. And that companies that encouraged their product managers to spend more than 30% of their time in the field were highly correlated with higher levels of success. But as you can see here, unfortunately, only a minority of organizations—11%—appear to enable their product managers to spend this much time in the field, for example, with customers or prospects or at trade shows. And you know, Ron and I believe there's a variety of reasons for this. The first. The thing that I see from a consulting standpoint is there can be a lack of executive support that inhibits product managers from getting out and spending this much time. If you think about it, it's pretty expensive to have your product managers actively engaged outside the organization at this level, and it requires strong support from the leadership team. A lot of times, you know, people lay this at the feet of the CEOs not investing enough in their product management organizations. But I think it's safer to say that it's not the CEO that's the only uh, force that, that needs to maybe invest more time and energy in, in how product managers spend their time, but the head of sales and finance and other executive team leaders also need to be vested you know, with that level of commitment in the organization and see a commensurate response, uh, uh, commensurate return. Also, product managers often acknowledge their own shortcomings, if you speak to them frankly. They they talk about their own shortcomings in time management, and proactive behavior, and their own biases. For instance, you know, leaning towards strategic activities as opposed to tactical ones that may also be part of their role. But I think regardless of the source of the current limitations on how product managers spend their time, Organizations need to step back and rethink about how they utilize their product managers and work to optimize external engagement. Our regression analysis shows that product managers who spend 30% or more of their time engaged externally leads to improved performance for both the product team and the organization. So with that, I'm gonna swing it over to Ron. Ron,
3: you're up. Yeah, so I wanna add to that previous slide if you can uh, go back for just a second. And uh, add a little bit of commentary on it from a product team standpoint. Product teams really count on their product owners and product managers to bring the customer into the room. And, and um, you know, I, I train organizations and I train executives in, um, in Agile. And, and one of the roles, and I, and I talk to product owners about all of the different roles that they play, one of those is, man- is managing stakeholders. And, and aside from time management of their own time, which I think it is, a big, is a big issue, that the cost of managing stakeholders is, uh, can, be, can be really high in many organizations. And that you know, from a time standpoint, that can be really high. But the cost then is to the organization, the cost is to performance as, um, as Greg just mentioned. There's a direct correlation between spending more than 30% of your time with customers and having a high performance team. And that cost of stakeholders uh, uh, pulling down all of product owners' time and product managers' time so that they're not spending that amount of time with customers is a cost to the whole organization. It's a cost to the product. It's a cost to profitability. And it's a, and it's a cost to their credibility with the team of being able to bring the customer into the room. So I think it's, a, it's, it's really beholden on all of you who are product managers and product owners to figure out how to fend off all of those other distractions and get out there and spend time with customers. Right now, now I'll get off my soapbox and move on to the next, uh, to that next slide. So I, I said we would come back to looking at requirements prioritization. So our latest regression analysis shows that emphasizing profitability as the primary criteria in the requirements prioritization process that positively impacts it performance There's a direct correlation between profitability and high-performance teams. Unfortunately, only 39% of organizations actually use profitability as a requirements criteria. Now, we saw earlier the leading requirements criteria are size of customer, followed by risk, followed by development cost, followed by internal stakeholder influence, followed by technical considerations, followed by revenue, and then only, seventh, do we get down to profitability coming in last among the, seven, uh, among the seven prioritization metrics that we offered our respondents as choices. It's also worth noting that while development cost is a component of profitability, the reliance on development cost by itself as a requirements criteria, we found negatively correlated with high performance. That those teams that, that did use development cost as a criterion for ordering their backlogs correlated with lower lower performance teams. So development cost is a component of profitability. What we wanna focus on is that profitability, not the development cost itself. Dramatically more organizations need to embrace profitability as a metric if they wanna improve their product team's performance. Next slide, Greg. So it turns out that product teams that size the entire backlog demonstrate higher levels of performance. I think there's an arrow there if you click uh, the next slide, Greg. And yeah, there we go. The data shows that only 17% of respondents both have more than a quarter's backlog and size all the stories in it. Sadly, 18% struggle with backlogs that are only an iteration or two of, of stories deep. 50% 50% have deep backlogs but struggle with predictability by sizing only the next sprint stories, and 16% do no sizing at all. So let me, let me come back to the, the conclusion. The 17% that have a backlog that's three months or, or longer and size their whole backlog, which gives them pretty, a, a much higher level of predictability, which, which I can personally attest to, correlate with higher performance teams, which is sort of obvious given that predictability then, gen- then generates the ability of the whole organization to figure out when, when it is that they're gonna do stuff, when it is they need to do stuff, and what it is they're gonna have when they get there. All right, next slide. So we wanna take you back to some results from earlier studies to what we learned then about three critical practices, and the first of these is standups. What we learned about stand-ups in 2015 is that holding effective stand-ups correlates with performance. Those teams not holding effective stand-ups correlated with the least productive teams. And we found that productivity then correlated linearly with the frequency of effective stand-ups. Stand-ups matter and, and effective stand-ups held daily matter most. All right, next slide. And in 2016, we asked about definitions of done. So as with stand-ups, we found that teams without definitions of done correlated with the lowest performance teams. But just having a definition of done did not move a team into the high performance category. It turns out it matters who created that definition of done. Definitions of done that were handed to teams from someone outside the team, didn't, uh, had just average performance. Those teams were members of the team, of of that actual team. Those teams had, had definitions of done, they'd written themselves correlated with the highest performance teams. And finally, the third of those, if we go to the next slide, was about onboarding. In one of our earliest studies, we asked about onboarding new team members and found that not only does effective onboarding correlate with the highest performance teams But only 4% of organizations characterize their onboarding as a best practice. Talk about low hanging fruit. So, next slide, and I'll hand it over to you, Greg.
1: Okay, thanks, Ron. All right, so Ron wrapped up uh, the regression analysis four and five with a little bit of bonus coverage from our previous studies. If any of you are interested in downloading this year's white paper, you can download a free copy at www.actuationconsulting.com. There are other places to get it as well. For example, if you're a PDMA member, you can download it at their uh, Knowledge Center. And if you uh, utilize PlanBox, uh, they actually have it on their website as well. Uh, Speaking of PlanBox, they were our sponsor, so I just want to acknowledge their support this year. Also, uh, you'll notice below that we had a a bunch of distribution partners who helped with us in terms of um, testing out the surveys and distributing them, as well as also, you know, helping push out findings. So, special thanks to the PDMA, Software and Information Industry Association, Silicon Valley Code Camp, and the Chicago Product Management Association. Uh, for those of you who are interested in who else other than Ron and myself are involved with the work, uh, Steve Stark is a principal at my organization. And Matt Jackson is a president of Jackson Consulting focused on operational turnarounds and operations overall. And uh, for anybody who might have a question that pops up after this, wait, uh, this webinar is over, feel free to reach out to me directly if I can be of any help or support. Alright, with that, I just want to take a second and thank David and Sonia for the opportunity to present today, and uh, with that, David, I'll turn it back over to you guys. Uh, let's uh, take some questions.
0: If you've got any question, please put it in the chat, group chat session. and We'll stay long enough to answer everybody's question. The first one is from Prashant, who wants to know if product manager and business managers are the same. Do product
1: managers own the profit and loss for the product? Um, Ron, I'll take that one. So uh, from a previous study, we know that only 18% of product managers actually have PL responsibility. Uh, we haven't asked the question for two or three years, so that may have changed. But that was uh, f- from one of our past studies. That was one of the learnings. Um, I don't... Um, David can attest there's such a wide array of titles that uh, people use to describe the role of a product manager. Uh, You know, I I can't say that I believe that business manager and product manager are necessarily the same thing, but uh, they may be used by some organizations to represent some or all of the functions of a product manager. David, do you want to add anything to that? You might have a perspective on this. Yeah. um,
0: There are over 400 titles used for product managers uh, worldwide, and they all pretty much do the same thing. Um, t- typically, product managers do not have p responsibility because as the profession developed from Procter & Gamble back in 1932 to its present-day incarnation uh, from brand manager to product manager, uh, back then, as a brand manager at Procter & Gamble, a brand manager had p responsibility. They were essentially a general manager for the product, and they also had budgetary control over advertising and market research, which has been lost. Uh, I advocate that product manage- managers should ask for that authority to be commensurate with their responsibility. A business manager would be the overall business, which might be on multiple products or pro- multiple product lines. Uh, the next question is, are there any matrices which show a relationship between clarity and company
1: vision and product management effectiveness? Uh, Ron, I don't think we have any matrices that show that. Do you recall any from your perspective?
3: Um, I don't. I don't, did we? Did we look at um, it, um yeah, <laughs> I'm not I'm not recalling it, no.
1: Yeah, I think the short answer is no. We haven't, we don't have any material that would show a direct correlation or connection in terms of some type of matrices that we could share.
2: Uh, I, have that would a be
1: that.
0: I have a comment on that. Um, yeah. a few years ago when I was doing research for my books. I looked for a correlation between a company's values and company's long-term success, and whether or not the company had a vision for, its, for itself and its long-term success. Uh, Striker, uh, Medical, uh, Apple, uh, Amazon have uh, very clear company visions, and uh, that's part of the reason for Apple being worth over $2 trillion these days. Uh, Other organizations don't have any vision, and when you combine a company's values with a vision, that defines the company's culture. Uh, Recently, uh, well, uh, if we go back, uh, the uh, the, the train companies, the railroads uh, years ago, defined themselves in terms of their company vision as being in the train business, not in the transportation of people and uh, goods business. Uh, I predict that if they did have that vision, that uh, the railroads would also have been building cars and built roads and trucks and so forth. Another example of uh, lack of clarity between a company vision and long term company success is uh, Eastman Kodak, which back in the 80s was one of the largest, most profitable companies in the world. And they were the ones that invented digital photography in 1973. But the sales force was concerned about uh, losing their uh, commission checks. And their company vision was uh, dividing the company into three groups, one for um, home and uh, professional photography uh, still, another one was for motion pictures uh, or moving uh, photography. And uh, they later in the late uh, 1990s, uh, they licensed some technology for digital video uh, from a company I was consulting with at the time called Lexar Media. And then about a year later, they canceled the licensing of those patents, again, because they were concerned about uh, uh, cannibalizing their um, film business. If they had a vision of being in the business of helping capture images, store images, retrieve images, and present images, uh, they could probably be one of the biggest companies in the world. They would have invented YouTube and Netflix uh, and the whole digital photography area. We probably might be talking to each other on a Kodak phone, uh, phone uh, because their brand at the time was quality. Uh, so those are a couple of examples of if you don't have a good company vision, uh, the chances for long-term success is quite small. Uh, equally, you have to have a co- set of company values. And I did a study of the first 500 companies in the Fortune 500 list, and about 300 of them are out of business these days. And because I was familiar with many of those companies uh, working on science and technology back in those days uh, I knew whether or not they had any values and if they had values did they follow them and the result was 300 of them did not and they had a culture of uh, failure and those companies are no longer around
1: yeah I think David just to yeah. add on to that um, you know going back to the gentleman's question while we don't have a matrices what we do know is is that organiza- there are plenty of organizations that don't have a Coherent business strategy. And there are those that actually have it but don't effectively communicate it well. So, you know, having it is one thing, but making sure that everybody understands it and that you can effectively execute it is another as well. So,
0: and it's really, That's part his and his point really a, to... a real example of that is Volkswagen, which has a very good company vision and a very good uh, uh, set of values, but they decided to hide their uh, diesel engine admission performance yeah, and it yeah. cost that company billions and billions of dollars of not having that in congruence. Yeah.
1: Ron, Ron do you
0: have a comment? I think we yeah, said that I think a, Ron wanted to
1: make a comment. Ron?
3: Yeah, so I was going to say I think it's it's really hard for product management to align um to align product goals, to align product vision and to align product roadmap if there's nothing to align it with. And and um so that was one of the things we found in terms of company strategy and the visibility and transparency of company strategy the importance of that for product managers and for product teams to be able to align with that and find success.
1: Back to you, David. Great,
0: the next question is what's the optimal backlog that needs to be defined ahead of time? The company uh, that Anuj works for defines the next quarter's backlog ahead of time, is it optimal?
3: Yeah, so I wanna, I wanna say a couple of things about that. One is uh, having at least a quarter's backlog um, is, is optimal and, and, um, and our study showed that. A- and sizing that, uh, that, that much of a backlog is, uh, correlates with the highest performance teams. Not, not to say that, uh, that that backlog is stable over that, uh, over that quarter but, but that there is that much backlog and that, that sizing then provides the uh, uh, and underst- provides the product managers understanding of cost so that they can they can uh, order on the basis of ROI, they order on the basis of bank for the buck. They can they can ensure that they don't have uh, uh, teleportation at the top of their uh, backlog, which is my favorite feature by the way. Um, uh, but uh, it turns out that it's very costly to build teleportation. I've so far haven't found an engineer who's willing to quote me a time on it. Um, and so we 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 don't want we, we certainly want to make sure that we're delivering the most value to our customers and the most delight to our customers. And so the back the backlog simply needs to be we need that much in it, and then we need it every time we walk into a planning meeting, which for most teams is every two weeks. We need that that backlog currently ordered. Uh, By by whatever it is that's going to deliver the most value to our customers. And so a three plus month backlog that is repeatedly uh, order iteratively uh, ordered every planning uh, every planning cycle is critical.
0: Great.
1: Um, Can you please share the slides after the meeting. Uh, Sure, if they reach out to me directly, I'll be happy to provide them with a copy of the deck. Uh, but uh, but i should know oh, or was it somebody in the chat room david was that you uh, asking for it or somebody in the chat room so that was me reading the question from the
0: score okay yeah so, uh, david so i want to know that
3: the study the study itself has way more detail and is um uh, i ur- urge you to go get the study and and read the study instead of the slides
1: I have to second that. But if they reach out to me directly, I'll work it out with them. Okay.
0: Um, Next question is transitioning from engineer slash business analyst to product manager. From your experience, what should be the primary focus areas?
1: Ron, that sounds like your question. I came from sales and marketing.
0: Yeah, so so
3: the um, one, you have to let go. You have to let go of uh, not let go of everything you know about engineering, but but uh, not walk into uh, believing that you understand how long things are going to take. Um, and this is a problem for us who are managers as well. We 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 were engineers. We think we know how long things are going to take, and we need to. And we really need that team autonomy and that that um, that self organizing teamness. We need to go to our teams and get input from our teams on how long things are going to take, and so that's one of the one of the uh, I think gotchas of transitioning from engineering to either management or product management. Um, the second thing really is is that ability to form a coherent picture and vision for product that is um, and and Greg and David, I may throw this one this part of it back to you. Mm-hmm. Um you know I think it's really critical for product managers to to have a coherent um picture coherent vision and a coherent roadmap for uh for the product and 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 you know and one of the one of the falsehoods about agile is oh we're agile, we don't need a product roadmap it just because we have a roadmap doesn't mean we're going to follow it, but just because we're agile doesn't mean we don't need a product roadmap to give us that north star to march toward. That um, at every at every given moment is every given moment is really critical to us to uh, uh, on the team side to know that know where we're going and know where we're marching, and that ability to build that is um, is is really important. Gregory David, you want to you want to say something about that part? Yeah,
1: I mean, I can I can add on to your comments. I mean, once again, I didn't come from engineering; I came from a different. Um, space on the continuum, both sales and marketing. But one of the challenges I would suspect for somebody moving from an engineering role into a product manager role would be the level of customer engagement that's required uh, as well as sales um, involvement with the sales team and the senior executives. Um, Those might be areas that somebody who's been in an engineering role might not have had to live in and the shades of gray that you know, that that come along with that. So, Ron, you can probably comment more whether, you know, my perspective looking at this from the outside, not as an engineer, but I would suspect those might be challenges that an engineer might face stepping into the role. Also, I think there's probably time lag differential. Um, I think you were sort of getting at this yourself, which is when you step into a product role, you're thinking three months, six months, nine months a year, three years, right? Not one sprint, one epic, you know, uh, you know, one backlog, basically. So there might be some time dilution um, that you might experience as a as an engineer stepping into a product manager role as well. Comments? Yeah. So um, one yeah, uh, two actually. One,
3: one is um, I'm going to go back to that comment I made earlier uh, about uh, managing stakeholders and one of the characteristics that you need as a product manager is the ability to manage stakeholders. You're going to have sales coming to you. You're going to have marketing coming to you. You're going to have, if you're in a startup, you're going to have the company founder coming to you. Company founders ideate at a rate that's an order of magnitude faster than development can develop. And every idea is the best idea, the most important idea, the one we gotta work on now. It's incredibly interruptive to teams. You've got to you've got to protect your team, allow them to focus during the course of, of a of a one week or two week or three-week sprint, however long your sprints are, and allow them to go heads down and not be interrupted and not interrupt their sprints. You've got to fend off, you've got to you've got to be the um the um, Maxwell smart cone of silence around your team, uh, protecting them from, all, from, from a torrent of distractions. Uh, and you've got to deal with all those distractions because all of them are coming in. And so one of the mantras that, that I encourage product managers to learn is this mantra of what a great idea. Let me put that on my backlog and uh and if then um, you know you get the the pushback of well where are you going to put it on your backlog marching them up to your backlog and actually and, and actually saying so let's figure out where this goes and uh, and oh by the way if you think it goes at the top there's some other stakeholders you're going to have to negotiate with around this and and being that negotiator and that facilitation of negotiation is critical and the second one is is, and, and I think you walk in from engineering, you walk into product management and don't realize this, that the, la- and, and we saw it, and we saw it um, on the, the prioritization schedule. The number one thing that, that product managers are using to, to to prioritize their backlogs is loud customers. And that is the, generally speaking, the wrong thing to use. Profitability is the right thing to use and loud customers can, can, can be a real danger to companies because, because they, they will drive you into being in the services business instead of being in the products business and services business are, are a sixth evaluation of, of product companies.
0: I've got two things that I think should be the primary focus in doing the transition. Uh, one is to understand that engineers work in the world of solutions Product managers work in the world by identifying the problems that the customer has so that the engineers can innovate and put together the solution. The second is the product manager needs to be able to do what I call the product market strategy. That is the strategy for the product to the market that they're targeting. And there are 32 things that I talk about in my Wiley book that the product manager needs to have in their uh, product market strategy And it ranges from understanding what the customer wants to do to a very clear value proposition, to a clear understanding of the personas of who you're selling this product to and who's using this product, to understanding the competition, understanding the market, uh, being able to position the product in the marketplace, uh, then understand the target markets, the total available market, how are you gonna penetrate the market, uh, your pricing strategy that maps into that, This all, of course, follows the uh, product vision that you defined early on, and then setting up the distribution, trading channels, uh, and so forth, along with the overall business model that is how you're going to make money with the product. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of companies do not do the product market strategy, and that's one of the reasons why about 35 to 50% of all new products representing about a uh, half a trillion to a trillion dollars is wasted each year in uh, new product development. Next question says, and one of the slides, profitability is kept as separate from customer satisfaction while defining product requirements. Aren't they correlated? Ron, that sounds like for you. Our,
3: our profitability, and so what were those two things? Oh. Oh, profit, profitability, and customer satisfaction. So, um, not necessarily profitability. Profitability is about numbers. Profitability is about dollars. Um, customer satisfaction. Um, so, if we don't satisfy customers, and if we don't delight customers, we're probably not going to stay in business. But we've also got we've also got to have the numbers around uh, around. Uh, pricing around, and, and this is another area that product managers get into, is, uh, is that around pricing and around profitability of the product, around cost of the product, and, and um, there's, a, there's a whole uh, science around figuring out profitability that is quite separate from delighting customers. Um, I, I uh, wanted to. Uh, David moved right on to this question from the last one, and I, and I wanted to note that that the things he was listing, and the things that Greg were listing, and some of the things that I were listing are all of are, are are together a reason for those of us in engineering to have to when we've got great product managers to have an incredible appreciation for our product management partners. Those are uh, product management a, a is a hard job, and it's a very different job from
1: engineering. David, I've one known Ron for I about had. David, I've known Ron for about ten years. It's the first time he's ever given us that prop. <laughs> uh, so I, kind
0: I, I of, uh, I'll tell you a little story of uh, one of my clients was uh, VP of Engineering at a company, and he had previously been VP of Product Management, or, or had been a product manager at Hewlett Packard. Uh, which was one of the uh, ground zero for product management trading. And he told me that he needed to have uh, a, a strong product management team. Uh, otherwise, he as an engineering manager could not be successful. That that uh, product management team needed to tell him clearly what is the problems that the product needs to solve. Without that, he cannot be successful. Uh, next question is, thank you, uh, Ron, Greg, and David. To what degree do high-performing product teams simply respond to customer vision goals, but to company vision and goals, versus helping define and guide vision and goals? Could, could you restate that, David? I'm not sure I caught that one. Since to what degree do high-performing product teams simply yeah. respond to the company's vision and goals versus helping actually define and guide the vision and goals?
1: Mm. You know, I think... Oh,
3: go on ahead, Ron. you going to take it. Yeah, so I'm going to start and then and then pass it off to you. The the I think it's I walk into as a consultant I walk into companies too often, in which company goals, company vision, and company values are not there, or they're not they're not they're not there or they're not communicated, one or the other. And pro- I think product teams are left flailing when they don't understand where it is their company's going. Um, The company goals are set by company company executive teams. Now, is there there upward flow from product teams of of understanding of customers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, But I I believe that companies at the executive level need to be making those decisions and those choices and, and, and providing clarity that then product teams can align with.
1: I'll take it a step further. I'm an advocate for inclusiveness. Um, So, you know, I know it's not feasible to have, let's say a mid-sized company have all your product managers be involved in developing the company's business strategy, but there needs to be appropriate representation. So that, you know, because the more that people are actively involved in formulating um, the strategy or the direction, the more likely they are to actually execute it. So uh, you know, I think execution, inclusion in the development of company strategy, either by product management, you know, and other parties in the organization, or some kind of proxy, CPO, uh, you know, VP of product management, SVP, whatever. Uh, there needs to be appropriate voice at the table to ensure that not only what gets um, traded upstream is is actionable, but that people buy into it and support it. And its execution downstream. Well,
3: hopefully we've got a hopefully we've got a chief product officer who's part of the executive team who's funneling that knowledge to the to and within and and, and embracing it at the executive team level. And not all, and not all organizations do. So I, I agree with you, hundred percent.
0: I, I can give you a personal example from my experience at Apple. I had just taken over the Apple III product line as the group of Apple III product manager, and at that time, uh, Lisa had not yet been released, and, nor has the Macintosh. Uh, so the two profit lines was the Apple II and, and my product line, the Apple III. Uh, the, the executive committee went off to Pahara Dudes a retreat center near Silicon Valley, and canceled my product line. and didn't bother to talk to me about it. A couple yeah, weeks later. John Scully called me into his office and said, what should we do about this? And I said, well, you never asked me about this before you canceled the product line. And it's your fault that you've got $20 million in piece parts uh, spread around the world uh, between our manufacturing facilities. Scully said, what should we do about it? And I said, give me the authority commensurate with the responsibility. And uh, so I made a presentation to the executive committee of a business plan I and about 80 other people put together uh, for the entire product line. And uh, I was asked at the end, after I showed a comparison of the company's values versus the different things we could do at the product line, uh, the executive committee realized that the abrupt cancellation of the product line was not showing any empathy for our customers, which is one of Apple's values. And it was also bad management and one of Apple's values is good management. So they asked me to take over an independent business unit uh, solely devoted to the Apple III and they gave me 17 people, a budget of $4 million and said, go do something. And we sold uh, 25,000 Apple IIs and became the third most selling computer in the world at the time and uh, produced enough revenue and profits for Steve Jobs to finance the Macintosh uh, development. So in that case, I took uh, charge and defined what needed to be done and I helped change the company's vision and goals. And I found many product managers in a similar state, so I put together a presentation, which is up on my website at SpiceCanalis.com, uh, which is entitled, quit, quit, uh, quit Whining and Ask for the Authority. And you can download that PowerPoint presentation, fill it out, and then go to your manager and ask for the authority uh, to manage your product line in addition to the responsibility that you already have. The next question is: What's the difference between product manager versus product owner versus technical product manager? Roger so,
3: uh, so I'll, yeah, so I'll take I'll take a piece of that. So um, I'm not sure what a technical product manager is, but I'll take the the product manager and product owner one. I think technical product manager falls into the how many how many. How many names do, do we have for product managers, David? Thirty, did you say? Three hundred? Four hundred? Four hundred. Yeah, four hundred. I think that falls into the four hundred category. But but I will say that product product management is a is um, you know to give you one example, pragmatic marketing um, uh, has a has a placemat. Um, it's, it's size of a placemat. It's got a whole bunch of bubbles on it, but the bubbles all describe Different um, different activities, different roles that product managers take, different um, different qualifications that product managers need, and I've never met a product manager who 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 fills all those bubbles. I've never met a product manager who can do all of those things. It is a really really broad set of things. Product owner, um, uh, if you if you start looking at those bubbles on on that uh, on that chart, um, there are about six or eight of them that that um, fill in what a product owner does. So so I think there are product managers who are focused on teams and and being the the carrier of the product vision into the team, which is what a product owner is in my view. Um, They are the product manager that each team needs the one and only one product manager that, um, that a, a team can go to to ask for what does this mean? What should we do now? What is the next thing? Uh, whereas there are also product managers who focus on competitive analysis. There are also product managers who, who focus on, um, on um, understanding every single customer and pers- building, uh, building personas understanding every persona. There's a really broad range of things that product managers can do. Product owner is just one of those.
1: All right. So I'll take the next handoff. Uh, David, did you have something you wanted to say before I dive in? Uh, yeah. Uh, I define the product owner as the liaison between
0: the product manager and the, and the scrum. They're the ones responsible for bringing the stories that needs to be developed to the, uh, the engineering team. Uh, very difficult for a product manager to also be a product owner and impossible to do those two jobs and also be the scrum master, which should be a third person. Uh, A product manager works strategically. A product owner works tactically, and it's very difficult for a person used to working in tactics to transition to strategic thinking. Uh, A technical product manager, I think that was a term that pragmatic marketing defined a few years ago. And it's more along the lines of a product manager that's also technically trained and sometimes slides into the role of a, of a product architect or a system architect, which is also a dangerous thing for a product manager to try to do. Because again, the product manager needs to live in the world of the problem, while the product architect uh, or the technical product manager is also living in the world of a solution. And it's hard to go from one to the other.
1: Yeah, so just to add on to your comments, I think our worlds generally align, the three of us. Um, I see the role of product management spanning everything from the inception of an idea, which we saw earlier in the innovation slides, all the way through the retirement of a product and having accountability and responsibility for that. Um, Whereas I view a product owner as a subset uh, of those responsibilities focused, as you were saying, David, more geared towards the engineering and development aspects of the, the team and less so the downstream management and ultimate retirement of the product. Well, but they sort of sit in the middle of the broader span of product management responsibilities. And hopefully in those organizations that are fortunate enough to have both a product manager and a product owner as part of the same team, which is great uh, and ideal in many ways, uh, you know, there's good collaboration and division of labor, you know, between those, those two teams. Some companies have called their product managers product
0: owners, which mm-hmm. is wrong. They should cut that out because it creates a great deal of confusion. Yeah. Uh, next question is after transition from engineering to product management, what should be the primary focus in the first 30 days?
1: Ron, this one uh, seems on to be. Yeah, no,
3: I, I think. I, I, Yeah, go ahead, David.
1: The number one
0: thing they should do is get to know personally every member of the engineering and the product team. Uh, If you can take them out to lunch, do so. And then ask them uh, one key vital question. What do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, And I ask all the people that work for me or that I work with that question because I'll understand what motivates them such that when i go into product meetings with those members i know what is motivating them in terms of what they're wanting to do and then i can offer up compromises when there is disagreements that fit into the things that they aspire to so what i would say in the first 30 days is go meet everybody and understand who they are what their values are where they're coming from where they want to go so that you can help them be successful and so that you can forge compromises and uh, relationships in order to have a successful product. I'm, I'm, I'm going like, to add on
1: to yours. Hey, Ron, let me, let me add on and you can okay. follow up on me if that's okay. Uh, I, so I agree with David. You know, the job has a lot to do with relationships to build trust and to be able to effectively collaborate. And it all comes down to people and the relationships you're able to establish. Um, one of the other things I would say is what the individual in their question didn't say is whether there's a somebody in that role today or whether they're stepping in it for the first time and nobody's in it. And I think the set of activities that you would do um, would be slightly different based upon that decision tree. Uh, for instance, if there is a product manager in that role today and you are replacing them, uh, you know, I would spend... a Quite a bit of time trying to understand from that person you know what activities what materials where the process is um, you know who he or she sees as the primary people that they need to interface with not all parties are created equally uh, there might be a handful of people five people that you know determine the success failure of the product internally and understanding who those people are and prioritizing the development of those relationships not just Every relationship, you know, I think is important. Um, uh, you know, if you're if there's nobody in the role, then you even have more work to do. In my opinion, it's not just the people, but you have, you know, you should really try to understand um, what's needed to keep the existing momentum of whatever that team is that you're inheriting going forward. So, you know, I, I think we're pretty much in alignment on this. I would just add that I think there's a fork in the road depending upon. Um, you know, where on that decision tree is a product manager currently, is there not? And then I would also say that I agree with David that the relationship side is the most important because if you don't have that level of trust, you're going to have problems. But I would not treat all um, all the parties same because they're not going to all have the same influence on your ability to affect, you know, positive change with your product. So I think you need to think strategically about it. You know, who are the most important um, people that you met, must have on side to be successful. The, one of the realities of being a product manager is you can't keep everybody happy. There's far too many interests and in competing priorities and you've got to be able to live with that. Um, and so, you know, knowing who you need to please and, you know, uh, um, it, making sure you've developed those relationships effectively is really important. Ron?
3: So I'm gonna uh, echo the word relationship that both of you have used. Um, uh, absolutely, product management is a, is a relationship job. Um, if you look at who product managers need to relate to, uh, David was calling out the team. Um, Greg, uh, you were calling out who's most important on the team but also some of the stakeholders. I think, I think you've got a team, you've got stakeholders and you've got customers and you've got executives. And you need to build. And, and first thirty days, you need to build relationships with all four of those. You need to you need to understand who your key stakeholders are and and who you've got to keep happy, um, and and who you've got to got to balance off against each other and and where those issues are. Um, you you need to start. You need to start spending that thirty percent of your time with customers in in month one. Um, it's it is understanding customers is is um, what your team. You you won't get credibility with your team if you don't do that, um, and uh, and then there's the executive side, which is where the funding comes from, where David went to to get the authority to go with his responsibility. Boy, that's a rare thing. the 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 watchword when I was at Apple uh, in in product management was all the responsibility, none of the authority. And um, boy, being able to latch onto authority is a, is an amazing thing when you can do it. But and so maybe you can, but. For most, of, for most of us walking into product management, we don't get it. And, and, and so it's all relationships because there's no authority there. You, you, um, you succeed based on credibility and based on relationships.
0: I can add two additional things. One is in those first 30 days, understand what the vision is of the product. Uh, what I took over as the Apple Free Group product manager, uh, the previous Apple III Group Product Manager had left the company, and the one before that was a fellow by the name of Steve Jobs. And he wanted to kill the product line because he felt it was occupying a portion of the marketplace that his yet-to-ship Macintosh was going to go into. He also, by the way, wanted to kill off the Apple II. Uh, and if he'd done that, it would have killed the company before he was able to ship his, his beloved Mac. Uh, but Steve learned a lot after he got fired from Apple and after his next computer became his last computer, uh, and uh, then later came back to Apple and was, as everybody knows, very successful. So I went and talked to the chief architect for the Apple III, a fellow by the name of Jeff Raskin, J.E.F. Raskin, and Jeff, by the way, was also the chief architect for the Macintosh um, uh, in, in its early days. And he told me who the product was being targeted towards, and why he had the feature sets in there. Uh, And that I was then able to use in terms of positioning the product properly in the marketplace and uh, direct everything uh, from then on out. Uh, The other thing to do is go talk to your uh, best customers, not necessarily your largest, but your best customers. Uh, I became the second product manager for a desktop video editing system called VideoFX. And the company had raised about $40 million Uh, Targeting, they thought, video production by Macintosh users. I went out and talked to 20 of our best customers, and they were none of them were Macintosh users. Most of them didn't even know where the on switch was. Uh, They were uh, all of them had four year degrees in video production. And the value proposition is that this little video effects product could cut the cost of a post production suite from $150,000 to about $75,000. So the company completely missed the positioning in the marketplace and the target markets. And that's why instead of selling to the two to thousands per month, they were selling about 10 per month. So the three things is get to know your team. And as Ron pointed out, get to know support, get to know service, get to know sales, get to know marketing, get to know finance, uh, and also get to know your best customers and uh, make sure you clearly understand what the vision is of the product. And then if you have any time left over, if there's some technology involved in your product, go to Wikipedia and read about it and you'll probably know more about the technology after reading it than the engineering team. Or at least you can sound like you know something about it and you you won't be embarrassed.
3: And if you have any time left over, get some sleep for your second month. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Last question. Isn't a product owner a role for a product team which has adopted a scrum methodology which is primarily a development method. Uh, Product managers do a lot more than just development work.
3: So uh, product
0: managers don't do any development work. Right. They're responsible for the product market strategy. And uh, uh, the pragmatic framework. Product
3: product owners don't do any development work either.
0: Correct. Uh, I think, Ron, you mentioned pragmatic marketing's uh, framework which uh, last time I looked at it did not take into account such things as uh, Agile. Uh, And uh, I analyzed all of those frameworks and put together my own. And that framework, uh, the Spice Catalyst Product Lifecycle Management Framework, uh, takes into account Agile and takes into account certain things that need to be done before other things uh, in the entire development of the product market strategy and the marketing strategy. And that's available for free as a download on my website. website. So, so I
3: think that's a lot. Of, yeah, Go so ahead. I'm going to add, a little bit more to that. So product owners, product owners have uh, are are as I as as I claim us are a subset of product management, and they need to decide what the mo- what thing, what set of things for their development team are going to delight customers the most and and make sure that uh, by just by ordering their backlog, make sure that those things are at the top of the backlog so that the team, those are the things that when the team goes to plan its next sprint, they're working on. They're working on delighting customers.
0: Great, uh, I think that's our last question. Just thank everybody for attending. We're a little over uh, 50 people that I noticed uh, on the Zoom call. And uh, have everybody have a a good afternoon and good rest of the week. Great, thank you, David.
3: Thank you, everyone.
2: Thank you, David. Thank you, Ron and Greg.
1: Ah, thank you very much. Yourself, I really appreciated the opportunity. It was nice to meet you.
2: Yeah, same. Bye-bye. Have a great day.
1: Okay, you as well. Thanks.